it. You think that there pig's dreaming about flying? Well, never can tell, Jed. Oh, never no, can never, tell. Never can tell. Well, I tell you one thing for certain. Oh yeah, what's that? In my dreams, that pig ain't flying. He's flying. Ah, oh, that's a neat <laughs> slapper, isn't it? Yeah. I want you to know I had nothing to do with that video whatsoever, okay? Well, uh, welcome back to the conclusion of our series, When Pigs Fly. Uh, so glad you are here today. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I love this time of year. Uh, I love that we can uh, see the balloons in the sky. I love that the temperature is finally cooling down. Yeah, thank you, Lord, that this is not Phoenix. Uh, I am thankful that uh, we get to see the colors start to change on the trees, and we're right around the, the corner from Halloween. And I have such great memories of when my boys were younger, and uh, we would take them uh, around the neighborhood to grab candy and then come back home, and then I would proceed to take a third of their candy to help teach them about taxes. <laughs> we had great times, and um, uh, you know, I, I've thought a lot about Halloween season, and uh, I, I think when Halloween comes up, we often think about monsters, right? And because I'm a history buff, and I like to read, and I like to study things that nobody cares about, I did a little research. I was surprised by what I found. Did you know that Dracula was first written about all the way back in 1897? Yes, the legend began in uh, 126 years ago, uh, written by Bram Stoker. And 126 years is a long time. That's older than some of the people in this room are. And then there's an even older story. This one was actually written back in 1827 by a lady named Jane Webb. It was about an Egyptian mummy that came to life and terrorized the people of the land. And it's where all the terrible Brendan Fraser movies uh, got their start, right? Now, not to be outdone by Dracula or the mummy, there's a story that was written even longer ago, 207 years ago. This was written by a lady named Mary Godwin, and it was the story of a scientist who decided to create a monster in his laboratory by putting pieces of body parts together to bring them back to life. Anybody remember the name of this monster? Frankenstein. <laughs> I got you, because actually Frankenstein was the name of the scientist. The monster is never mentioned in the story of Frankenstein, at least in the original book. So I got you there. But, you know, you all shout it out like you know all about trivia. You think you got it all down, apparently. So we're going to have a little trivia test here and see how well you really know monsters. A couple of these are going to be pretty easy. A couple of these are going to be a little harder. But here's what we're going to do, okay? I'm going to read the description of the monster and if you think you know it, you can shout it out. Okay, you ready? You were real eager a minute ago. <laughs> Not so confident now, are we? God will humble you. Okay, here we go. The, this monster, number one, is said to have lived in the waters of a Scottish lake. Also known as Nessie. Good job, everybody. Okay, that was, that was one of the easy ones I mentioned. Number two, this monster with a Spanish name that is translated goat sucker was first identified in Puerto Rico. Any, anybody? Chupacabra. Very good. It sounds like a Mexican dish. Uh, <laughs> number three, 
This legendary sea monster haunted the seas as far back as 1180. Anybody? The Kraken. Give that man a hand. He did good. The Kraken, yes. Okay, that, I was just being facetious. You didn't have to really give him a hand. Although I'm, I'm proud of him. Okay, number four. Name the monster that comes out to play when a full moon is out. A werewolf. Okay, good job. Good job. Okay, number five. This gigantic legendary monster brought fear to the people of Japan. Very good. Godzilla. Okay, you're doing good. Some of you, you're like, I finally got one. Yes. Number six. What is the name of the large hairy monster seen walking in the woods and spotted in the Pacific Northwest? Bigfoot. You guys are just... You've had some chili today. Number seven. This powerful monster could fly the skies and breathe down fire on its enemies. A dragon. Very good. Very good. Somebody excited over here. Okay, here's your bonus question. You ready? Name the monster that roams around rivers and arroyos mourning for the loss of her kids. La Llorona. If you go anywhere outside of New Mexico, I don't know that anybody has a clue what you're talking about. But here we're like, yeah, it's La Llorona. I heard her yesterday. She was right there off of 2nd Street, right? <laughs> you guys did good. Anybody get eight out of eight, correct? If you did, I salute your monster trivia knowledge. Uh, that's pretty impressive. Now, what do all these monster trivia questions have in common? Well, I think that all of these stories of monsters probably began as folklore, and I think most of us would agree. Now, some people may believe one or two of these are true, but I think most of us would believe that these are all probably just urban legends, right? But what would you say if I told you that there is a real-life story of a monster who actually lived and actually terrified people in a village? Would you believe me? Believe it or not, not only is this story absolutely true, but the Bible gives us a detailed account of this story when this monster that was roaming the earth had an encounter with none other than Jesus Christ. So we're going to read this story as we wrap up this series, and the story begins with Jesus and his disciples in Luke chapter 8, verse 26. It says this, so they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. So Jesus and his disciples usually spent most of their ministry on the west side of the Sea of Galilee in an area like Judea, Jerusalem, all that area. This particular day, Jesus and the disciples decided to sail across to the eastern side, the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And as soon as they arrived on shore, they met a man, but he was no ordinary man, right? He was a man with a monster inside of him. And scripture tells us this, this, this monster was a group of demons that were completely in control of this man and his life was hard. In fact, I believe that if you and I had a chance to learn more about his life, we would see his life was tough. And if we could have interviewed him, he probably would have said these words to us. Let's listen to this song.
So think about this man, this man with a monster. What is his story and what happened to him? Well, we're going to answer that today, and we're also going to learn five things the Bible tells us about demons. Uh, notice the very first thing about his story, and it's found in verse 27. It says, for a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside of town. You got to feel for this poor man. Homeless and naked, suffering and struggling and uh, living away from anybody who could give him hope or help or encouragement. I can't even imagine a life like that. 
every single day of his life was a misery, and that's because demons create unending suffering, unending misery for those they inhabit. I believe this man was so full of the power of the enemy in his life that he was like a puppet that was just doing whatever the demons wanted him to do. And as a result, the Bible says that this man wandered around, went uh, naked, right, and homeless, and he would often hang around in the tombs. Now, in those days, people would carve out tombs in the sides of hills where they would go and bury their dead. So this poor man lived life like a zombie. Here he was living life in this area called the Decapolis. Now this was an area with 10 small cities and the people living there were not necessarily fans of God. In fact, they weren't looking for God at all. All of them except this one man. Verse 28 says, as soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him And then he screamed, why are you interfering with me? See, just as bugs are drawn to a bright light, I believe that the demons in this man were drawn to Jesus. And they wanted to know why Jesus had come. Uh, To our knowledge, this was the very first time Jesus had ever gone and visited that region. And this man with these demons inside was curious if Jesus had come, perhaps to take away his fun. Well, he also asked the question, uh, why have you come? Why are you interfering with me? Because I think he knew what was coming. Now, if you haven't learned a lot about demons yet in the Bible, uh, scripture says that a long time ago before creation, that Satan chose to rebel against God. Demons are simply fallen angels who joined with the devil in that rebellion and chose to reject God as their leader, as their master. And see, the consequence of that for these demons is a place called hell. These demons knew that. In fact, when they saw Jesus coming, they probably thought it was the end of the party because demons know the destiny that awaits them. They know what's coming. And notice that they called Jesus son of the most high God. That's an interesting thing that they called him, right? Why did they say that and use that particular title? Well, there was this superstitious belief in those days that if you knew the name of a spiritual being, that you could claim authority over that being to get them to do whatever you wanted them to do. The idea was once, uh, that once you claimed the name of an entity, you could control it from that point on. Now, parents understand this already, right? (laughs) I mean, most of the time you call your kid by their first name or their nickname, but when they're doing something dangerous or stupid, you call them by their first, middle, and last name, right? It's worked with my kids. They'll be doing something stupid, and I'll say, Christian Eric Dreyer, and it's like, it works. That's kind of the idea that these demons had when they called Jesus son of the most high God. They were trying to influence him and it was no use. It didn't work. Now, just a side note, it's interesting. Jesus had never been to this spot before. This man had never personally met Jesus, yet the demons inside of this man already knew exactly who Jesus was. How did they know? Well, that's number three. Demons have 
an unwavering belief in God. I want you to think about it for a minute. Long before the world was created, the Bible teaches that angels were there. They rebelled, and some of them became demons, right? Following Satan. But they've seen all of creation. (laughs) They saw the fall that happened in the Garden of Eden. They saw the moment when the, the earth was flooded and started over again. They had the chance to see Jesus become born, grow up, live his life, die, and rise again from the dead. They've seen it all. And they know it all. But here's the tragic thing about even demons. They believe in God, and yet that belief in God never actually leads to behavior that changes. See, we live in a culture that thinks that if you believe in God, that, oh, I believe in God, you believe in God, that's, that's good enough. Well, first of all, how do these demons even know about him? Well, <laughs> they believe in him. It says in uh, James chapter 2, 19, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in fear. See, it's not enough to just believe in God. I've met tons of people as a pastor for 20 years who will tell me, oh yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe he was real. I believe he actually lived and he did good stuff. I even will believe in the Bible. But so many times, these people who believe in God do the same thing these demons do. They don't let that belief change their behavior. They don't ever repent and turn away from their sin and make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of their life. I love that these demons also, the very first thing they do with Jesus is they plead with him not to send him or not to torture them before the appointed time, right? I love the fact that it's okay for the demons to inhabit and make this poor man's life miserable that they've been torturing. But when it's their turn and Jesus shows up, oh, they want mercy this time. You ever notice that Satan doesn't play fair? I'm always blown away that the same person, the same devil who tempts you and I to sin, if we happen to give into that sin, what does he do next? He turns around and he beats us down, right? He says, look at what you did. You can't be a Christian and do that. Oh, God will never forgive you. God doesn't love you. You should be ashamed of yourself. That's what the enemy does. He doesn't play fair. And neither did these demons. Notice what it says in verse 29. This spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. With the enemy inside of this man, he was unstoppable because demons can give people supernatural abilities. Just like when you become a Christian, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and he empowers you with spiritual gifts and supernatural abilities so that you can help serve in the church and you can help witness for him to the world. Well, the enemy does something similar. Anybody that demons inhabit can also have supernatural ability, but it's it's not to do God's work, right? It's to oppose the work of God. So this man, he had this incredible ability, he had this power, this supernatural power that was so great that he was uncontrollable. They would chain him, he would break the chains, and he would wander around 
terrorizing the people of the land. But now these demons were up against a new foe. It wasn't anybody they'd ever come face to face with before. It was none other than Jesus. And notice how things changed. In verse 30, Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. So first of all, the demons tried to beg Jesus to go easy on them. And now what they're doing is they're trying to bluff about their power with Jesus. See, when Jesus asked, who are you? They responded, legion. (laughs) That wasn't an answer. That wasn't a name. That was a description. Because a Roman legion in those days was 5,200 elite soldiers. So Jesus was basically saying, tell me your name. And these demons were saying, we're rolling 5,000 deep. They were flexing on Jesus. They were trying to intimidate him. Now, I read this story and I thought, okay, Jesus, why did you tell, why did you ask for the name? Was it because you needed to know the name of the enemy before you could cast it out like that superstition says? No, I don't think so at all. I think Jesus asked for the name because he knew there were so many demons in this man He wanted you and I to know that no matter the power of the enemy facing us, Jesus is infinitely more powerful still. (laughs) No matter how intimidating the enemy might be, no matter how threatening he might be, claiming to be like the 5,200 most elite soldiers in the entire Roman army, (laughs) Jesus is like, no big deal, right? Well, they tried to beg, and then they tried to bluff, and their third tactic to try to stop Jesus was to bargain. Notice what they said next. Verse 31, the demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. Again, these demons did not want the party to end because they need a host, a a physical host to be in. And so they ask Jesus, can we please go into the pigs? And Jesus says, sure, I'm going to allow it. And so they, they do, and Jesus allows it, but the pigs don't. The moment these demons enter these pigs, they rush down the hill, flew off the cliffs, the pigs did fly, And the deviled ham hit the water, okay? This could be the last chance I teach after a bad joke. My my boys harass me about dad jokes. That's about as bad as it gets, okay? Listen, let's be honest. You read a story like that, and you might think what I thought many times as I read it. Jesus... I know that you allowed these demons to go out of this man, and that's a good thing. And yet you allowed them all to go into these pigs that these people owned. And granted, they were not people who love you. They were not people who care much about God. Incidentally, they were people who worshiped the god Diana. Diana was one of the Roman gods at the time who took the image of a boar, a pig. 
So was, was that mean for Jesus to let this entire herd of pigs become filled with demons, running down the hill, flying off the cliff and drowning? I believe what Jesus did in this story was one of the most loving things he could have done. Let me explain why, okay? <laughs> Jesus knew that these people had probably made fun of this poor man who was filled with the monster his entire time this had happened to him. Here's this poor man that was the talk of the town. He was the gossip of the town. And all the while, all the people in the Decapolis would look at this poor man and think, what a pathetic soul. Look at the terrible things this guy does. Look at the terrible way he lives. And they lived exactly the same. Oh, they had their clothes on. And they were intellectual, and they owned property and these things. They were just as lost as this man was, and they didn't even know it. They needed a wake-up call. And that's what they got. Verse 34, when the herdsmen saw it, saw what happened, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. After seeing what happened with the pigs, those who were the eyewitnesses to what happened rushed into the city, and they began to share, you got to see what happened. This guy, Jesus, showed up, and he met the monster, and this happened with the pigs. And so all the people come out, and not only do they realize that all these pigs are dead, but here's the monster man who's sitting there, dressed, controlled and poised, and it terrifies them. Why? Because they've never seen anybody before more powerful than that man. And now somebody had just shown up who was far more powerful than they could ever imagine before. Because Jesus... <laughs> Demons lose their power when Jesus shows up. This man who had been the talk of the town, the embarrassment of the village, was, he was in his right mind again. And this was such a shocking situation. This was such a huge wake-up call that these people went into complete freak-out mode. It was a gift for them, even if they didn't realize it. They lost some pigs, but they got to see the power of God doing a miracle that they had never seen before. And the very God that they worshiped, the God of the pigs, was defeated. Listen, I think some of us, we grow a little bit lazy in our walk with God. Maybe we don't even have a relationship with God at all. And we find ourselves in a place where we need a wake-up call. And I think sometimes God brings pain our way, loss our way, relationships breaking up, things happening in our life. He's trying to get our attention. He's trying to tell us, listen, you have a chance right now to repent. You have a chance right now to be saved. You have a chance right now to turn from sin and be rescued. But you've got to seize this moment because that moment may not come again. 
And, and Jesus would rather see us suffer for a little while than go through eternity suffering in hell without him. I have friends that I love who aren't Christians, and you know what I pray for them? I pray for difficulty for them. I pray for trials in their life. I pray for an unsettledness of their heart. I pray that God would do something in their life to allow them such uneasiness that they would realize their need for Jesus. If they're always happy, if they're always blessed, they won't need him. That's why I love the story of this man. He was in desperate need of Jesus's touch. So were the villagers, and they had a choice to make. What did they choose? Verse 37. And all the people in the region of the Gerasenes, check this out, begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone. For a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. Despite all they had just seen, these people in this village made the same exact decision the demons did back before creation. To reject Jesus. To say, no, I, I, no thanks. I'd rather you get out of my presence. And here they were at this incredible moment in time when they could be saved. I came across the story of a um, man named Lieutenant Pat O'Brien. You may not know his story, but it's worth knowing because it's, it's a great story. He was one of the very first Americans uh, to fight in World War I, and he was the first American in World War I to be taken hostage. He had heard about the war that was taking place, and so he actually went to Canada so he could be part of the Canadian Armed Forces and be a pilot. And sure enough, he did that. He went over to war, and he was fighting, and as he was in the air, in the middle of combat, a German plane came straight toward him, firing away with guns. And he recounted that a whole bunch of bullets came through the front of the cockpit of the plane. One of those took out the engine. Not good. Another one of those came through the front instrumentation panel, went through his cheek, down through his throat, and got lodged down below. He had the presence of mind to eject from the plane before it crashed, barely alive, and was immediately captured by the German forces. Well, they had him and they had eight other people that were captured already as prisoners of war, and they were preparing after a while to take these prisoners of war to a larger prisoner of war camp. And they had heard about it. And so, one particular evening, as they were loading up to get in a train, Pat O'Brien had an idea. He decided that the most important thing for him was to be free. And they were on a train at 4.30 in the morning that was hot with no air conditioning. And so he came up with a plan. He decided that under the guise of just getting fresh air, he would lean over to the window on the train and open it, acting as if he was just trying to get fresh air. And when the soldiers that were guarding him weren't looking, he would jump up on the seat and climb out the window of the moving train. Well, he shared this story with his eight other uh, prisoners of war, and they all thought he was crazy. They're like, the impact of you falling on the ground will kill you. But Pat O'Brien, he wasn't easily dismissed. And so sure enough, as the night went on, he began to think about it, and he decided to make his move. 
He opened the windows, took a deep breath of fresh air, and then in a moment when the soldiers had looked away for just a second, he climbed on his seat and he jumped out the windows, folding his arms. And as he landed on the ground beside him, he was knocked unconscious for a period of time. When he awoke, he wrote in his memoir these words. He said, I came to within a few minutes, and when I examined myself and found no broken bones, I didn't stop to worry about my cuts and bruises, but jumped up with the idea of putting as great a distance between me and that track as possible before daylight came. Still being dazed, I forgot all about the barbed wire fence along the right of way and ran full tilt into it. The one thing that was uppermost in my mind was that moment uh, was that for the moment I was free and it was up to me now to make the most of my liberty. Lieutenant Pat O'Brien came to and then he began to walk his way out of the enemy's territory. It took him 72 days to walk across Germany and then occupied Belgium. He eventually came to a fence separating Belgium from Holland but it was electrified so he had to dig 10 feet down below the fence to climb underneath to safety. It was worth that to him to be free. He would do anything to be free again. This man, this monster of the town was finally free. But what did he choose to do with this freedom now that Jesus had delivered him? Well, let's finish our story. Verse 38. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. Now, as you can imagine, this man who had been plagued by demons for who knows how long in his life wanted nothing more than to stay as close to Jesus as he possibly could. But Jesus said, you have a testimony that I want to use to change the world. So don't come with me. Stay where you are and be a difference maker right here because you have a monster of a story to share. And that's exactly what he did. He went back into the city and he preached about Jesus. And get this, you're going to love this. Sometime later, Jesus returned to the Decapolis. This time, instead of the people telling him, oh, please leave us, the Bible tells us that there were thousands of brand new Christians there who came out to see Jesus. Not only that, history tells us that the churches in the Decapolis area became so powerful and so influential because of a revival that happened there that God used them to strengthen the early church for many, many centuries. Why? Because one man with a monster became a missionary. So what's your story? See, there are two people in this room. There are those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. And that means that you don't have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And perhaps today's a wake-up call for you. Because here's the thing. The enemy is powerful. The enemy is terrifying. And if you don't have Jesus in your life, you don't have that protection from him. There's another group of people in here, those who have given their life to Jesus, trusted him entirely as the leader and forgiver of their life, and the evidence of that is that you repented of your sin 
You change your behavior and you live each day for God. And for you, the Bible says you don't ever have to worry about demons because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You have, <laughs> you have the testimony, right? But you also have an opportunity, and I pray that you will seize the opportunity to share your story. It may not be a monster story, but it's the story God gave you. Share it so other people can be free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of this man. Thank you that Jesus chose to go across from west of the Sea of Galilee to the east side for a divine encounter with this poor man that the world had written off. Lord, everybody around him probably made fun of him. He was probably the complete loser of the town, but you loved that man. And you sent your son, Father, to save him. And because you did, and because of what he did in sharing his story, thousands upon thousands of people came to you in faith because of his story. Father, I pray right now for anyone who's in this room that isn't sure if they have a relationship with Christ. I pray for anybody watching at any campus that they would immediately walk out, go to the decision room and speak to a counselor so they can do business with you. Lord, demons are real, but they're no match for Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who know you, help us have the courage to share you with others. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.